Thank you so much for attending another presentation on Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We are now at an interesting place where Sri Jiva Goswami is going to be giving us a, uh, a fortification uh, of the Parivas Sutra uh, based on different statements in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, before we proceed directly to the Anuchedas, I wanted to discuss a little bit of parallel between his approach um, in this part of the Krishna Sandarbha in presenting Lord Krishna as the supreme manifestation of the absolute truth, the topmost tattva, and um, the logical way in which a discussion is held, uh, di the dialectic approach to logical discussions uh, uh, utilized in coming forward uh, from various Indian traditions the way the logicians uh, discuss things. First, I'll share a little bit of a definition. Uh, the first paragraph is uh, from a Wikipedia posting. Uh, dialectic approach to logical discussions involves taking a thesis by an opponent, Purvapaksa, and then providing its rebuttal, Kundana, so as to establish the protagonist's views, Siddhanta. The Purvapaksa tradition required any debater first to argue from the perspective of his opponent in order to test the validity of his understanding of the opposing position, and from there to realize his own shortcomings. Only after perfectly, I'm sorry, only after perfecting his understanding of opposing views, would he be qualified to refute them? Such debates encourage individuals to maintain flexibility of perspective and honestly, honesty rather than seek victory egotistically. And this second um, quote is uh, from... Uh, a commentary on the 
that that is a pair that shows up in the Tattva Sandarbha in discussion of the same topic, and particularly in the way the Vedanta Sutra or the Brahma Sutra um, is presented, how it was written. So the Vedanta Sutra is divided into four chapters, Ajayas, each having four sections, Padas. These are further, further divided into Adhikaranas, topics. And this is the important point here. Each Adhikarana includes a topic statement from the Upanishads, followed by a doubt concerning that statement. Then an opponent's position, Purvapaksa. Then the right conclusion, Siddhanta. And finally, Sangati, a demonstration of how the Adhikarana relates to the preceding and the succeeding Adhikaranas. Now, the reason I bring this up today, enter into this next section, or I guess part, not to, con not to confuse a section because every individual Anucheta uh, is considered a section. And uh, those sections could be looked at in a way similar to the Adhikaranas or the topics of the Vedanta Sutra. But I bring it up so that we can kind of see a parallel here in Jiva Goswami's approach. First, he's taken a statement, a Mahavakya, a Pariva Sutra from the Srimad Bhagavatam, and uh, he's, he's put it forth. And you would think that the first thing that he should have done, or he could have done, in, in presenting the Pariva Sutra is to give it its all, all the support that he could find uh, to to fortify its position, to pound the post, so to speak, to really get some, some strong standing um, in relationship to other statements. So therefore, one would think that this fortification of the statement Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam would have come before the section we just completed, wherein Jiva Goswami, Goswami personally dealt with all of the statements from the Bhagavatam and from other scriptures and the Leela narratives from both the Bhagavatam and other scriptures, wherein one could arrive at, arrive at a conclusion that is contrary to the Parivas. But we see that he's, he's taking a similar approach in his present, presentation here at the very beginning of the Krishna Sandarbha to the way all logical argument is, is dealt with um, according to the dialectic approach. And the first thing he did is he dealt with the poor Vipaksas. And we can even look and dive into this a little deeper. When we talk about the poor Vipaksas, we're talking about really um, something that is, is interfering with a proper conceptual orientation in regards to what's put forth in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and specifically the statement that Krishna is the topmost manifestation of divinity. 
So this is very interesting that if we even look to, in another way, look to what's most advantageous is to first deal with any misconceptions that we may have in regards to any aspect of our understanding. And in the very beginning, in the stage of um, sadhana bhakti, before we come to bhava bhakti and attain the goal of prema bhakti, in sadhana bhakti, there's the stage of anartha nivritti, where we want to deal with any anarthas. Now, an artha is something of value, and an anartha is something that's of little or no value. It's a misplaced value. So then when, when we look to anarthas, they're really, we're putting, we're giving credit where credit is not due. So anarthas apply not only to um, any attachments we ha may have to seeking uh, pleasure in all the wrong places, so to speak. Trying to trying to seek enjoyment through the Lord's external energy. So there's and there's certain things that are really detrimental to spiritual progress that the spiritual master points out at the very beginning of our practice. If you really are serious about spiritual life, you want to you want to get these anarthas out of the way. So this stage of anartha nivritti the sooner we can put all of these anarthas aside, the sooner we can progress nicely to the stage of steadiness or nista in the stage of sadhana bhakti. So anartha is not only just giving up our physical attachments to uh, enjoying in all the wrong places, so to speak. But it also deals with putting our confidence in misplaced ideas. So we want to have the proper conceptual orientation. And that involves dealing with all of our doubts. So as Swami Tripurari often says, you go before the guru and you, and you bear your doubts. You bear your soul, so to speak. I'm having trouble. I can't see how, I just, I, I can't put my faith there yet. I still don't see it properly. So we put, put our doubts before the spiritual master and therefore, we can retire anarthas through our practice. We can retire those anarthas dealing with our, our senses and our, our, our attachments to sense enjoyment. And we can also put aside our doubts in regards to the proper conceptual orientation and the proper understanding of what is uh, what is the philosophy, what is the sambandhagyan and the proper sambandhagyan that that situates situates us firmly in nista or steadiness in our practice and so that we have so that our faith really begins to mature nicely. So similarly, the logical approach to argument 
and, and looking at, at and establishing Siddhanta, first, the dealing of Purvapaksa is there. Look at any of the opposing views or place the opposing views that your mind may have before the guru and have them dealt with in a very dignified way. And the definition here speaks to that dignity, that it's, an, it's a sincere inquiry, and it's called a vada discussion. Uh, we're not interested in, in winning at all costs. We're not in, interested in, in simply defeating the opponent. We want to really get to the truth of the matter. And once we get to the truth of the matter, we presented the, the opponent or our minds opposing arguments. Once we've dealt with those, then we can push forward nicely. So Jiva's approach here has kind of been like that from a philosophical viewpoint. The first thing he dealt with was all these arguments, statements from the Srimad Bhagavatam that appear to not conform with the understanding of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Leela narratives and statements from other Shastras also that one could put forth as an argument against the Pariva Sutra. So he's done that very comprehensively in the last Anucheta, which has been a few of our classes here. And now we're going forth to this next section where he's put forth the fourfold army of the Pariva Sutra. He's going to give to us all the support for the Pariva Sutra. He's dealt with the doubts. Now he's moving forth to supporting the Pariva Sutra. And all, and he's doing this in a, in a fourfold way, and he's he's referring to it as just like an emperor is surrounded by the various divisions of his army when he goes out for battle. So he's going to support the Pariva Sutra, uh, and and this is really. This is really, if we look at the heart of what he's doing here, if we, if we are establishing a loving relationship with Krishna as his devotee, we don't want to have any regards, doubts in regards to his position. We want to have full confidence that this is the istadeva, the manifestation of divinity, which perfectly fits. It's and it 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 makes the most sense for us as a spiritual seeker. And as Gaudias coming forth from Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu and his gracious dispensation, we're fully content as Gaudiya Vaishnavas that the, our whole practice, we're willing to lay at the feet of the Pariva Sutra of the Bhagavat Purana. We, this is where we find our nourishment. We are not seeking to be Ram Bhaktas. We are not seeking to worship Lakshmi Narayan in Vaikuntha. We are seeking to have a relationship with a manifestation of the Supreme Lord, Krishna. And we are convinced by our Siddhanta coming in the Gaudiya line, the Gaudiya Sampradaya, we're convinced of a Siddhanta that embraces a Mahavakya from Shastra, the Pariva Sutra, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. You could not find 
a more ideal manifestation of the Lord to worship. And there are unlimited statements in support of that. And we bow down to those statements. We embrace that manifestation of the Supreme Lord, that simply you go before him dressed like a devotee with bad intent towards him, and he still gives you the most ideal position of eternal loving service to him, as he did with Putna. That is our God. So we go forward into this fourfold army today. And the first division is supportive statements. So Jiva Goswami writes in his 30th Anucheda, in this way, way, the formal declaration, Pratijna, Krishna, however, is Swayam Bhagavan, like a great heroic emperor, single-handedly overrules hundreds of opposing statements, assimilating them into itself. Yes, just to augment the pleasure of the audience by a display of unique splendor, I will now cite other verses as well that are like the emperor's supporting fourfold army. First, in their prayers, Bhagavan Sri Krishna, the Devas speak of his agency in the matter of the Leela avatars. So Jiva's saying here, now I've dealt with the poor of Apaksa, the opponent's statements from the Bhagavatam, from the Leela narrative, from other Shastric presentations. Now, let me, let me give you some pleasure by a display of the unique splendor of verses that support this statement in regard to Krishna being the supreme manifestation of divinity, Swayam Bhagavan. So the first quote is from the 10th Canto, second chapter, spoken by the Davis, O Almighty Lord, reverence unto you, just as in the past you have protected us as well as the three worlds through your avataric descents as a fish, a horse, a tortoise, a man-lion, a boar, a swan, a kshatriya, a brahmana, and a deva, O best of the yadus, Please now remove the burden of the earth. Then Jiva concludes this Anucheda by stating, the meaning here is self-evident. Little commentary in regards to this first Anucheda in, in support of the fourfold army. In olden days, kings would personally lead their armies into battle. The king was the principal fighter and heroic leader. If he was weak, defeated, or killed, the battle would be lost. The army was present to support and protect the king. This is also evident from Bhagavad Gita, wherein Duryodhana requests his retinue to protect Bhishma his commander-in-chief, and the mightiest and senior-most warrior on his side. The army had four divisions, Chaturanga, consisting of chariots, elephants, cavalry, and infantry. At times, even when the emperor was simply journeying about on tour, he would be accompanied by his complete army with all its four divisions just to impress his subjects and to give them pleasure. In the spirit of this analogy, 
Sri Jiva says that he will cite additional verses that function like such an army, embellishing and supporting the emperor's statement. In these verses, he demonstrates that Krishna is the source of various types of avatars. He will now present a series of verses from the Bhagavatam in support of the Parivas Sutra. So these are not, they do not have anything, there's nothing here to argue about. These are in direct support of the statement that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Similarly, Brahma prayed to Krishna, again from the 10th canto, uh, after the, at the conclusion of the Brahma Vimohan Leela. O Lord and Master, O Source of all, although you are unborn, you appear among the devas, the seers, as well as among human beings, beasts, and even aquatics, in order to curb the false pride of the wicked and to bless the virtuous. The meaning is self-evident. Again, it, it's interesting to take note that these particular prayers, first the one, one from the last Anucheta by the devas, and this one put forth by Lord Brahma, are di direct statements to Krishna himself. Commentary in this regard. This verse forms part of Brahma's prayers to Krishna as a young cowherd boy after the former had stolen his friends and their calves to test his divinity. After one year, Brahma realized his mistake and also understood that Krishna is the ultimate source of everything. Thus he spoke from his own immediate realization. The word vidata, meaning the creator and controller of the universe, is a vocative address used most commonly to refer to Lord Brahma. In this verse, however, it refers to Krishna himself. And according to Sri Sanatango Swami, it thus signifies he who is the source of all avatars. This is evident from the verse itself. Yivago Swami continues. Gargamuni informed Nandamharaj, your son has numerous names and forms befitting his attributes and deeds. I know them, but people in general do not. Some commentary in regards to this. This verse was spoken by Gargamuni to Nandamharaj during Krishna's name-giving ceremony. Here, Garga confirms that Krishna has various other names and forms. This is a reference to his diverse avatars, some of which have been mentioned in the previous Anuchedas. This also implies that Sri Krishna is the original form of Bhagavan, being the source of all avatars. The negative particle, no, no, meaning not, can be applied both to Garga and the people in general, Jana, by the principle of the lamp on the threshold of a doorway. The logical premise there is being referred to here serves to validate the application of a word or meaning to two adjacent objects. Just, a lamp, just as a lamp on a threshold casts light both inside and outside the room, the meaning would then be that, like people in general, Garga, too, does not know all the names and forms of Sri Krishna. So Krishna has unlimited names, and in those unlimited names are all his transcendental potencies, as Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu personally wrote in the second verse of his Sasastika. Um, so what's coming out in this commentary is Gargamuni, even himself, despite the fact that he's a wise sage with, with transcendental vision, so much so that he can recognize this young baby as 
the supreme manifestation of divinity and declare to Nanda Maharaj in a very covered way, so to speak, in a way that it does not um, disclose that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. Gargamuni was so understanding of the position of Nandam Haraj and his Vatsalya Ras that he didn't want to interfere with that Prem Bhakti's immense love for his son by saying, uh, actually, this is God here. So, first, as evident from the beginning of the 10th canto, uh, both with Ashvarya and without. So, uh, Vasudev and Devaki did recognize Krishna's divinity. And Yasoda and Nandam Haraj, uh, they, they did not. Although he was a very wonderful child and had did wonderful things, uh, the, the wonder of his, the various Ashvarya that he displayed during his child, childhood age, particularly Kumar age, it never, it never entered their mind that their son was God. He was like God. Gargamuni said he was like the Supreme Lord. And, and, and they were content with that understanding. Anything more than that, it has not been fully nourishing to their Vatsalya, their position in Vatsalya Bhav. So, but even Gargamuni, as pointed out here in the commentary, and it's evident from his verse spoken to Nanda Maharaj, even he's, he's admitting that he can't even know all of these various names and manifestations of the Supreme Lord Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So it, it's it's very pleasing to us, as Jiva Goswami has, has said. This is this is a very ne this is a ne nectarian presentation now that he's giving uh, in support of Krishna's position, and it's nice to uh, for us to see how Jiva Goswami has put forth all these wonderful. Uh, verses uh, for our our complete absorption in Krishna's topmost transcendental position. The sons of Kuvara, Kuvara spoke in a similar manner to Bhagavan Sri Krishna. The descents, descendants, the descents into bodies of you who are devoid of a material body can be known through your various acts of prowess, which are unequaled and unsurpassed and impossible to be found in any embodied being. Now, with this particular verse spoken uh, by the sons of Vera, by this particular verse, now Jiva himself is going to give some commentary to unpack it, the meaning. So he continues in the Anucheda, the expression into bodies of you who are devoid of a material body, sari reish shwasaririna, is a causative adjectival phrase expressing the reason for this knowledge, the capacity to recognize the avatars. Although you avatarically descend among embodied beings, you yourself are not embodied. 
from the perspective of the principle illustrated in the second Bhagavat Sandarbha in regards to Srimad Bhagavatam 3.3, the primary meaning of the mat-up suffix in the word asaririna indicates the non-possession of a body is irrelevant here because of the absence in him of any distinction of body and embodied, unlike the case of ordinary living beings, in whom such a distinction does apply. Uh, we have some commentary here to unpack this more for our edification. This verse was spoken by the sons of Kavara. Nalakuvar and Manigriva after Krishna had released them from Narada's curse. Here Krishna is addressed as Asariri, which literally means without a body. At the time, Krishna was standing directly in front of the two sons of Kuvera. His form distinctly visible to them. Asariri does not mean one altogether devoid of a body, but rather one devoid of a conventional relation as possessor of a body. In other words, the negation is not of the body per se, but of the distinction that normally pertains between the body and its possessor. In the case of Sri Krishna, such a distinction is irrelevant because his transcendental body, Rupa, is identical to his intrinsic being, Swarup. The relation of possessor and possessed does not apply to Bhagavan as it does to living beings in general. Now, in addition to what I have presented here from the commentary, there is a comprehensive explanation of the Sanskrit and an unpacking of that, uh, which for Sanskrit scholars would be uh, quite enlivening, uh, not having any background in that. <laughs> uh, I have not put that forth here. Uh, I could not further explain what Jiva's, uh, what's put forth in the commentary by Sachin Das, who is a, uh, a Sanskrit scholar in a way that I could exp explain uh, all the nuances that come forth from this one verse uh, spoken by Nala Kuvar and Manigriva in the 10th canto. But what he brings out is what summarized in this commentary that the word asariri here does not signify that one is completely devoid of a body, but rather the Sanskrit words and how they're put forth in the verse from the Bhagavatam relate more to the fact that he does not have a conventional body. So don't read it in a conventional way. And this is, this is the, one of the great, uh, contributions of Sri Jiva Goswami is he's able to use uh, both his both the proper presentation of the Sanskrit from the Bhagavatam and various logical arguments, philosophical arguments uh, in such a way that he is, can arrive at the appropriate conclusion and we can also see how from such a simple verse from the Bhagavatam, such a profound revelation um, can be arrived at in regards to the various Sanskrit words in the verse. Jiva Goswami continues in the 34th Anucheda. Moreover, Nagnajit, prayed to Sri Krishna, again from the 10th canto. How may that Bhagavan be pleased with me, he, the
the dust of whose lotus feet Lakshmi, Brahma, and Shiva, along with the guardians of the universe, eventually hold upon their heads. At appropriate times, he assumes various forms as a matter of divine play, Leela, to protect the principles of Dharma. He himself enacts. The meaning is self-evident. Some explanation here. Nagnajit's daughter was married to Krishna. In the above verse, the clause, at appropriate times, I'm sorry, in the above verse, the clause, at appropriate times, he assumes various forms as a matter of divine play, Leela, to protect the principles of Dharma he himself enacts, implies that Sri Krishna is the original supreme person who appears in different avatars. This statement itself is confirmed by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. Yada yadahi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata aputanam dharmasya tadatmanam shri jamyam. Whenever and wherever there's a decline in religious practice, so descendant of Bharata, the predominant rise of irreligion, at that time I descend myself. Jiva continues, now quoting from Narada, Sri Narada also said, I bow down to Bhagavan Sri Krishna, whose intellect is ever unthwarted and who manifests exquisite avatars for the release of all living beings from material existence. He continues here to utilize uh, commentary from Sridhar Swami. Swami Pad also comments, in this verse, Sri Narada glorifies Narayan as an avatar of Sri Krishna on the basis of the statement, all these avatars are either portions, amsa, or partial expansions, kala, of the Purusha. Krishna, however, is Swayam Bhagavan himself. And, of course, this is from the Parivasutra, 1328. Continues. Therefore, since Narada offered his prayer to Krishna himself, after hearing the personified Shruti's eulogy of Narayan, it is be, to be concluded that Sri Krishna is the sole object of praise, even in the prayers of the personified Shrutis. This very fact is made clear by the Shrutis themselves in verses such as 1087.23, wherein they proclaim, proclaim Krishna's extraordinary characteristics of awarding liberation to his enemies. The meaning is clear. There's some extensive commentary here. And I think one of the points I wanted to make is in the commentary. So we'll just continue there. Uh, in this 87th chapter of the 10th canto, King Parichit posed a question to Sukadev Goswami. How can the Shrutis or the Vedas which are concerned with the three gunas, describe Brahman, who is devoid of the three gunas, and beyond cause and effect. In response to this question, Sukadev recounted the story of the meeting between Narada Muni and the sage Narayan, to whom Narada had asked the same question. Narayan Rishi responded by repeating the answer given to this question by the sage Sanandana, who in turn recited the prayers of the Shrutis personified. These prayers were uttered at the onset of a new creation cycle to awaken Paramatma, Narayan, who is reposing in the sleep of supraconscious being, Yoga Nidra, after the dissolution of the cosmos. The principal verse of this Anucheta was spoken by Narda after hearing these prayers. In this verse, although Narda was directly in the presence of the sage Narayan, from whom he had heard the reply to his question, he prays instead to Sri Krishna, whom he identifies as Bhagavan. Narda recognized the sage 
one among Krishna's many avatars. Although the Shruti's prayers were directed to Narayan, the Paramatma, not to Narayan, the sage, Narada concludes the chapter by praying to Krishna, who is the source of all avatars. In other words, he understood that the Shruti's prayers were in fact aimed at Krishna and not Narayan. This conclusion is supported by verse 10.87.23. This is from the prayers of the personified Vedas, wherein the Shrutis specify the ultimate truth as he who awards liberation to the enemies that he kills. This unique quality is found only in Krishna and not in any other avatar, as discussed in Anacheda 29. So Jiva's already presented uh, an in-depth discussion regarding uh, this specific quality of uh, Bhagavad Krishna in regards to the liberation of uh, the Asuras or his enemies. As such, he alone is the reality to whom the Shruti's prayers are directed. The full verse cited from the Shruti Stuti is as follows. And then we quote from the prayers of the personified Vedas. Simply by remembrance of you, out of fear or malice, even your enemies attain the same truth that the sages contemplate within their hearts while regulating the vital breath, mind, and senses through resolute engagement in yoga. The women of Raj, whose minds are firmly fixed upon your stout serpentine arms, and we too, who share the same internal disposition as them, and who are intent upon the nectar of your feet, are equal in your eyes. A profound statement uh, that even those that are inimical and in their approach to Krishna are receiving this receiving because they are approaching Krishna because of his, his disposition, his amazing uh, charitable disposition, uh, one of his uh, most magnificent, in fact, some sages would say the emperor of all his uh, qualities, that even uh, great sages that go to uh, immense uh, trouble to control their mind and senses uh, through the practice of yoga. Uh, even those that are inimical towards receiving the same result. And uh, here it's interesting that the, the Shrutis themselves are uh, putting forth the fact that their internal disposition is the same as the, the gopis of Raj, that they want to enter into a relationship with the Supreme Lord in that, in that, in that mood. And they're placing that in the same verse where they're speaking of the, in the beginning of the verse, the attainment of those that are inimical. So quite an extraordinary statement here in the commentary. So we can see this beginning section in support of the uh, Pariva Sutra, the first division of the fourfold army, is dealing primarily with entering into the understanding that all the various manifestations, all the avataric descents coming from Krishna uh, are contained within him. So even when we look to various prayers that are put forth, if we have this understanding of Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, and we carefully look to various prayers and see how 
they're worded uh, in this instance by the Shrutis. It would appear that they're playing, they're praying to Narayan, but they reveal through the prayers that actually they're they're seeing Narayan as a transparent vi media, so to speak, Krishna, who is really their Istadeva. And similarly, the statement by Narda that he, even though he's in a discussion with Narayan, he's his prayer is directed towards Krishna because he's not really there's they're really not seeing a distinction. They know that all these manifestations of divinity, all these avataric descents pouring forth unlimited um, manifestations, uh, uncountable um, avataric descents, they're all different manifestations of Krishna. So we've dealt first with different Leela avatars. And now we go to verses from the Bhagavatam, wherein even the Guna avatars are seen as manifestations, direct manifestations of Krishna. Sri Sukha speaks of Sri Krishna's agency in regards to the Guna avatars. And now a verse from the 11th canto. Being questioned in this way by Uddhava, whose mind was exceedingly attached to him, Sri Krishna, the supreme ruler of all rulers, who plays with the cosmos like a toy, and who assumed the three forms of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva through his potencies, replied with an enchanting, loving smile. The Anucheta continues, the meaning is self-evident. In this regard, verse 10, 14, 19, which was cited earlier in the Bhagavad Sandarbha, should also be considered. You are the Supreme Self. To those ignorant of your true position, you yourself expand your maya and appear within the non-self, within inert matter, as me, Brahma, for the creation of the universe. As this Vishnu for its maintenance, maintenance and as the three-eyed Shiva to bring about its end. Somebody's using their pencil and making annotations on our slides here. <clears throat> Jiva Goswami continues. Additionally, Sri Bhishma speaks of Bhagavan Sri Krishna's agency in regard to the Purusha avatars as well. Thus, I have fixed my mind, which is free from all hankerings, on Bhagavan Sri Krishna, the foremost of the Satvatas, who is the greatest Vibhumni, who is situated in his own intrinsic bliss, and who, for the sake of his cosmic play, sometimes accepts his own prakriti, from which evolves the flow of universal being. Next, Jiva Goswami is going to unpack this a little bit for our edification. Swami Pod's comment is as follows, again, quoting the venerable Sridhar Swami, 
with the intent of praying for the supreme fruit in the form of love for Sri Krishna, Bhishma first offers up his own deeds in this verse. The greatest, Vibhumni, means that entity in reference to whom all greatness, Bhuma, vanishes, V, signifying that apart from him, there is no greatness elsewhere. Bhishma then points out that very supreme glory with the words who is situated in his own intrinsic bliss, meaning that he is always already established in the attainment of the supreme bliss that is innate to his own being. Sometimes he accepts prakriti for the sake of his cosmic play. This indicates that he does not become subservient to prakriti, like the individual living beings, through concealment of his intrinsic nature. Bhishma further, further expands on the nature of Bhagavan's acceptance of Prakriti for the sake of cosmic play. He plays with Prakriti in such a manner that for from it evolves the flow of universal being, the unfoldment of creation. And the concludes here. The exact same point is confirmed by the Devas in their prayers to Sri Krishna. Narrated in the 11th Canta, the Purusha, who has unfailing prowess, acquired his creative power from you in conjunction with Maya through Maya's instrumentality. He upholds Mahat, the first evolute, which is like the womb of the cosmos. Swamipad also comments, having attained power from you, the Purusha in conjunction with the conjunction with Maya upholds Mahat. In what manner is Mahat upheld like the womb of the cosmos? We'll conclude today's discussion with a little bit of commentary. Bhishma is one of the 12 illustrious personalities, Mahajans, who are fully conversant with the truth regarding Bhagavan, Bhagavat Dharma. Thus, his words are authoritative. The very fact that he lay for 52 days on a bed of arrows that pierced his body without any food and was able to speak lucidly on complex matters to King Yudhisthira is evidence of his extraordinary qualification. It also implies that he was not conditioned by his material body and was situated in awareness of the self. In Bhishma's statement, the word vibhumni is highly significant. It refers to that entity who is supreme or unparalleled in qualities. The cause, the clause, Pakritim Upeyusi, who accepts Prakriti, implies that Krishna is the impelling agent of the Purusha avatars. He is ever situated in his own intrinsic bliss and never becomes influenced by Maya. This is corroborated by the second verse cited in this Anucheda, wherein the Devas state in their prayers to Krishna that the Purusha obtains his creative power, Virya, from Krishna. This means that the Purusha is not independent of Krishna. So we will conclude there uh, with this first of the first discussion of the first division of the fourfold army in support of the Parivas Sutra. Uh, there are some more verses uh, which we will continue with in this first uh, division of the army in our next discussion, and then we'll move on to the uh, second uh, division. So there's four divisions put forth here, all in support of the Parivas Sutra so that we as practitioners can have the 
absolute proper conceptual orientation in regards to uh, Sambandha Gyan related to Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Uh, Aristadev, the aspiration of our, de of our devotional practice. Are there any questions in this regard? If not, I will thank you so much uh, for being honored by your presence in this discussion. And uh, hope to see you again soon. Banchakalpatu bischa, kripasindabhivacha, patitanam pabhanevyo, vaishnavijanamo namaha. Hare Krishna. Thank you again. Lal Chandra Prabhu ki jai. Krishna Kirtana Banana Tanapano Remamritambani Dira Dira Jana Priyau Priyakaro Nirmasana Sri Chaitanya 